Okay, hello, hello. I'm Dr. Jason Lee, clinical immunologist, allergist, practicing in Toronto, Ontario. Hard to believe I'm already on season four. Season four, episode one, I have with me here Dr. Jennifer Kwan. Uh, she's a family doctor extraordinaire. She has been very integral to the COVID-19 data updates uh, here in Ontario. Uh, and she's also uh, very uh, good and uh, a powerful, I would say, advocate for masking for all in uh, Canada and has been very vocal about this. So uh, welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much for inviting me onto your podcast. Yeah, thank you for uh, being here. Uh, you're kind of like a household name now in terms of the new circles and the new cycle. Um, you know, the, the, for those who don't know, if you go to her Twitter uh, uh, handle, uh, which is jkwan underscore md or jquan underscore md, um, you can find beautiful graphs that illustrate sort of the trends of the pandemic and responses and numbers in Ontario. What made you, uh, you know, take the onus of doing this uh, for, for all of Ontarians? Yeah, so starting in early March, I was getting more and more concerned about the whole COVID situation. Um, at that time, Canada wasn't really aware of what was going on and people were still having large gatherings. Uh, I was getting really worried. So I wanted to start showing people, you know, the trend of the cases and the exponential growth. When we're looking at the data on the provincial and even the federal websites, it was initially just the numbers of the day and you wouldn't be able to compare it to yesterday or the day before. So that way we don't really know how significant the growth is. So I started making the graphs to um, kind of help myself understand and I decided to join Twitter to share it with other people who may also be interested in what is happening. Yeah, and uh, you, you just joined Twitter in March of this year, right? But you know, already you're one of the uh, you know main uh, sort of quote unquote influencers or you know very uh, pivotal key people on Twitter, uh, just because of the uh, very amazing work you're doing with the COVID data representation. Um, so you know, kudos to you and and you know uh, myself and many other physicians really look to your Twitter uh, page to actually get the uh, the graphs and the information. It's it's often easier than most news outlets, which is it's saying a lot, I think. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful because initially I would hear that other doctors were using my graphs for rounds or they were sharing it for like virtual conferences. And um, I think some organizations were using it to help understand like how to influence their policies in terms of uh, infection control or things like that. So I was really happy to hear that I could uh, provide that service to other people and um, kind of contribute to the cause. Have you ever considered a career in public health or epidemiology out of, out of curiosity? Like you have a, obviously a natural knack for it. Um, not really, actually. Uh, I once wanted to have like a YouTube medical channel because I feel like my passion is to help people understand their own bodies, their own health, uh, break things down from you know, medical jargon to a way that the general public can understand. I mean, that's what, as a family doctor, I do for my patients every day. So I wanted to have that um, ability to, you know, have informational videos to help people understand diabetes or heart disease or like healthy eating or like, you know, uh, women's health issues. So that might be something I would be interested in the future, but I'm not interested in, you know, working for the government or politics or anything like that for sure. Yeah, so yeah, I get the uh, definitely the appeal of working on a 
uh, you know, the, the micro level at the patient, individual level, but also the macro level. And I, I think certainly you've made a, quite a bit of a, a, you know, a huge impact, actually, in fact. I think even, uh, you know, news channels and uh, journalists are using your uh, Twitter graphs and things to do some of their own reporting. So, you know, very, very commendable indeed. Um, you know, throughout this uh, pandemic and the response in Canada, uh, I know we're uh, just discussing some of the, uh, the sort of differences that other jurisdictions may have had in other countries. You know, it, you know not, not to put you on the spot, but is there, are there like, you know, two or three things that you would change or do differently? Uh, you know, and, and it, maybe it's not too late to make these changes right now. Uh, what, what would you say are like, you know, three or two critical things that we should be doing right now to combat COVID-19? Definitely, that's a good question. I think hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's always easier for us as physicians where we're only looking at the medical side of things and not having to balance the economy and you know other people's like uh, lives uh, when we're just looking from purely the medical perspective. Um, I would say looking back, um, obviously the mask issue. Now that everyone has kind of agreed that masks uh, for the public are effective, including the WHO. Um, I wish that people had come to that conclusion earlier because that may have helped prevent cases, it could have prevented deaths, it could have prevented, you know, maybe even shortened the lockdown if we had used this tool um, to help control the cases. That would definitely be one thing that could have been done earlier. Another thing, um, in Canada, everything kind of happened all of a sudden. Um, there was one day where, you know, um, Justin Trudeau announced his wife had COVID and then they shut all the schools down. So before that, a lot of physicians, including myself, we were suggesting, you know, maybe reduce large gatherings, kind of like earlier things, like start masking up. Things that are less invasive and less of a hammer approach, instead of just all of a sudden announcing your prime minister's wife has COVID and shut all the schools down. That's kind of a big shock to the system. So I wish that we were able to warn people in a more graduated way to avoid traumatizing everybody. Okay. Yeah, no, I certainly get that, uh, you know, they had to take it seriously. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it was a shock to me too. You know, I got back uh, to Canada two days before the mandatory, mandatory quarantine uh, took into place. I almost felt fortunate because it was something that I did not foresee happening. And, you know, the information that we were getting uh, from the public health authorities in Canada, as well as the WHO, was a bit murky at first, right? In January, I distinctly recall that, you know, we were being told that human-to-human -human transmission is highly unlikely. And there's a lot of, you know, mudding of the waters. And yeah, in 2020, it is certainly uh, much easier to, to decide these things. The, the mask issue is, uh, is very interesting uh, because, you know, we uh, have had many secret discussions on our secret doctor forums and whatnot on, you know, the debate between masks. Uh, and I think, you know, you were moderating one of the debates. Um, is, is there such a debate in other parts of the world, do you think? Or have people just done it one way or the other? In Asian countries, for sure, masks are part of the culture. Um, perhaps you can comment on whether in South Korea that might be a more common thing, but definitely in Hong Kong, as soon as there was this concern about a new virus, everybody put on masks and they had the mask shortages way before we did here. Um, so certainly it's more part of the culture. And 
I'm also glad a lot of the European countries um, implemented that too. Like Czech Republic was a major one in um, implementing mask policies. Um, Germany has done it now. So I think gradually people are learning it's not just an Asian thing. It is a smart health thing to do. Um, but definitely there is a cultural um, difference. And perhaps maybe because the Asian countries were more affected by SARS, so they're also overly uh, cautious when anything new happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And there may be, uh, you know, big cultural differences. Um, you know, it's, it's, you'll get scolded at, for example, if you walk down uh, the streets of Korea and you're not wearing a mask by some elderly uh, angry person. So, you know, almost there's a, there's a societal pressure to wear a mask. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. We have not yet made it uh, mandatory in uh, most of Canada. I think all of Canada, in fact. Uh, whereas even in the U.S., they are trying to roll out some mandatory masking policies. Uh, even when it comes to private and you know private businesses, uh, Costco comes to mind. Where Costco Canada does not mandate the use of masks, but in in the U.S. they do. You know, I I don't quite understand the uh, hesitancy to do so, uh, because you know as as we know, it's a very low cost uh, sort of intervention. Um, have you had any uh, journalists try to pin you down on this issue? Uh, yourself, uh, whether you're not taking a stance or whatnot. Yeah, journalists definitely like to ask hard questions and they're always like, oh, what is, what do you think the government is doing wrong? Like, should masks be mandatory everywhere? Like, it's very um, black and white sometimes the questions they answer. And definitely for the mask issue, it's, you know, there's a lot of gray area. For example, definitely people who have medical conditions or disabilities or contraindications to wearing a mask should not be forced to wear a mask like that's common sense same for young children and whenever there's mask policies anywhere including for businesses or transit there has to be exceptions made for people who cannot wear a mask um one thing that's brought up often is asthma and perhaps you can comment on that because i'm sure you see a lot of patients with asthma so if you have severe asthma and you have trouble breathing um and the mask obstructs your breathing then no you probably don't need to wear a mask and nobody should be forcing you to or judging you for doing that that being said anyone who can wear a mask and you're in a high-risk setting such as public transportation and indoor enclosed space or whenever you cannot distance from other people then putting on a mask shows that you care for other people including those who may be more vulnerable and wearing a mask is good to protect each other and to help save our health and our economy. So, you know, the mask debate, there is a lot of black and white, but I'm sure that most people can agree that we all want to be healthy. We want the economy to resume as soon as possible and that there should be exceptions for wearing a mask. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and masks can be like part of the, uh, you know, one of the tools that we use in our toolkit to help us reopen the parts of the economy um, particularly in indoor uh, shopping or commerce where it takes place. You know, uh, I do see a lot of asthma, as you uh, alluded to, uh, and I, I personally have, uh, you know, moderate asthma. So, uh, you know, the days I wear an N95 mask, you know, you're, you are breathing, in effect, the air through the mask, and it does require, uh, you know, a bit more effort and, uh, you know, sufficient lung capacity to do so. And, you know, I, I found it personally, you know, and, and my, my patients corroborate this, it does get quite tiring and, and um, you, know, you know, more than a bit annoying that, that you, you're breathing through a mask. That surgical mask or, you know, hand, uh, homemade mask, I, I tried those out as well. So we had a nice uh, donation from the National Ballet of Canada 
uh, who donated us some home-made uh, masks. And even wearing one of those for a prolonged period of time, you know, I found the worker breathing generally uh, a little bit more uh, strenuous. And, uh, you know, it was certainly hard to bike home while wearing one. Um, so it's uh, it definitely poses some unique challenges to, depending on, I guess, how well controlled your asthma is and what your baseline lung function is. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the, your, you know, just go, again, going back to your beautiful graphs. Um, how did you decide to sort of expand the repertoire of graphs? You know, because some of the graphs are even more uh, interesting. You, you almost did it like, uh, you know, my, my trading tool called TradingView, where you have the moving averages, things like that. You know, like, was that just something you just learned uh, as you went along? Or is it something, do you have an epidemiologist to sort of teach you or help you? It's it's all quite impressive. Like, yeah, thank you. Um, well, initially I started with just the cumulative curves of the case and deaths, but people would comment and make suggestions, and I definitely would take into account anyone's um, ideas if it was reasonable. So, uh, one thing was, for example, when they started publishing um, hospitalization ICU data, um, or I was able to get them from other sources. That was one thing everyone was looking for. You know, are we finding the curve and preventing overwhelming our healthcare system? So that was a very important graph early on. Another one was um, as some people would say, well, you're not reporting the resolved cases. So, you know, I'm not trying to intentionally mislead anyone. So then I started making graphs to show the resolved cases because I agree that's important to show and to demonstrate that, you know, not everyone who gets COVID ends up in the ICU and dies. A lot of people do recover. So I want to show a very fair representation and a factual representation of the situation um, and let other people make the interpretations as to what is going on. Yeah, and, and it's amazing that, uh, you know, you're able to do this all using a, a free tool, uh, the Google Sheets, and, and you know, it's, it's quite, I thought you were some, using some sophisticated, uh, crazy program, but, uh, yeah, that's, it's really, really impressive. How much time would you say you've, you know, devoted to, uh, to the service of Ontarians uh, doing, doing all this work on a daily basis? Yeah, I certainly didn't sign up for this time commitment. <laughs> now, I would say I spend at least an hour every day in the morning, um, usually around 1030 making the graphs. And then I try and reply comments and things like that, but it's not really possible to reply everybody. Um, and I still have to check throughout the day and if there's any you know, big news about um, COVID in Ontario or masks or something like that, I also try and uh, publish it and I'm also still working you know um, full-time at my regular job you know I still manage my own patients so it's definitely a balance for me. Wow tell me about the uh, you know the letter uh, the letter writing campaign that you spearheaded today as well for Mass for Canada you know uh, what it is and, and, and why you feel it's important for uh, us to be on board with that. So there's a group of physicians across Canada um, from all sorts of specialties, you know, family medicine, emergency doctors, uh, hospitalists, uh, things like that. So we all want um, Canadians to understand that masks are a key to a safe reopening of the economy and to help us save lives. So I believe it was in Alberta, actually, that Dr. Joe Vipin, he started a, a petition for his province, and then we thought we should expand it, you know, nationally. 
uh, in fact, we actually started organizing this letter um, maybe a couple weeks ago. Um, and while we were in the process of it, the government changed their mask recommendations from suggested to strongly recommended. So we were quite um, pleased that the federal government had finally you know, changed their stance. Um, unfortunately, because early on they had said that masks were in fact not effective and uh, recommended against wearing them, it's very hard to change the public opinion on masks when you're telling them almost the exact opposite thing. So we're hoping that our petition um, to the federal government now and also the provincial governments will help them um, recommend mandatory masking high risk high risk situations um, with the exceptions we talked about for people with disabilities and things like that. And definitely also we are not wanting people to face uh, fines or criminal penalties for not wearing a mask. We want this to be an educational experience for the public so they can learn how to protect themselves and protect others. And we also are asking the government if they can distribute masks uh, for those who may be more vulnerable and don't have access to masks because we need to uh, encourage, um, you know, uh, equity and quality. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly, you know, with the retrospect, and I, I try not to be overly critical, although sometimes uh, I am, I suppose. Uh, you know, one of the things that I found very frustrating was uh, the general maxim that I practice medicine with uh, in my field is I always try to err on the side of caution. Uh, and, and prudence when it comes to patient management. Uh, you know, so, the, so it was very frustrating for me that you know, when there was a quote unquote debate about things like mask uh, policy, uh, you know, it, it seemed like almost our government policy was to not err on the side of caution to, you know, which I think you know, has maybe uh, compounded to the costs of dealing with the pandemic you know, with a prolonged uh, shutdown of the economy and uh, more uh, lives, morbidity, mortality uh, lost. And even when it comes to uh, therapeutics as well, I feel that you know, we're not uh, really uh, you know, erring on the side of prudence, but more uh, you know, we want to act in desperation almost or without you know, good backing of evidence at all. So when there's a discrepancy, I feel like the default should always be to err on the side of caution. But it, it is what it is, Um yeah, so Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, you know sharing your insights with me and, and my audience. Um, you know, I wish you a lot of energy to keep up with the ever-expanding repertoire of graphs that you're producing for the province. And um, yeah, thank you very much. So everyone out there, it's J-K-W-A-N, J-Kwan, underscore MD uh, is her Twitter. She also has a website as well, uh, J-K, uh, wanmd.com. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me.